Tate from New Jersey. It's the SNL Nerds, a show where two comics from New Jersey nerd out about Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson. And I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. John, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Darren, all things considered. How are you doing? I'm okay. I still haven't seen you. I haven't seen your, your face. And uh, yeah, we're still talking to you via computer. Yes, I believe this is uh, our eighth episode in, in quarantine, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. Eight, but, uh, eighth time yeah. in our- this is This is our new normal, strangely enough. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's I I still I still can't get I mean I guess I'm slowly getting used to it but at the same time in my mind I'm like I shouldn't get used to this I just still sort of like I don't know it's just so damn weird this shouldn't I don't know yeah but you know that's that's what it is we just have to deal with it and that's uh, you know we're we're all just dealing with this stuff as best we can so we're all this together people we're all this we together. are so I mean have, have you been doing what I right, go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, uh, so what have you been doing while this has all been uh, going on? Just uh, living the life? Living the life, chasing the dream, uh, you know, like just uh, trying to stay as normal as possible, um, doing things like, you know, I've I've been uh, job searching for a little while, which is not made easier in pandemic world. But, uh, yeah, I got some possibilities out there, and I'm I'm also trying to work on some of my own projects that is stuff I can work on by myself. Oh, so, nice! All right. So, yeah. What about you? Staying busy, doing things, making things happen, mm-hmm. th- things in motion. I like it. Uh, on the fire. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of pots on the fire. Pots on the fire. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've been all right. I've actually been. I've actually also. I mean, I've been kind of working from home like everybody else, but I've also started to kind of watch TV shows that I've always heard about, but I never had a chance to see. But now I have, now I have nothing but time, so I've been kind of watching. And uh, this kind of ties into SNL. Um, have, you ever, have you ever seen the show on HBO, Hello, Ladies? I know of it. I know it's uh, Stephen Merchant, uh, who co-created The Office and Extras with uh, Ricky Gervais. Um, and it didn't. It didn't last very long. I've never. I've never watched it though, and I don't have HBO. So uh, okay, how uh, was it? It's it's actually pretty good. But yeah, it's all. I saw it on Amazon Prime. Apparently, the and you're right. It didn't last long. It only lasted for one season in uh, 2013. Only eight episodes, and um, they wrapped it up with a movie. So it's like if you have HBO, oh, cool. you can see the movie on HBO. It's like an hour and a half episode. But uh, it was pretty interesting. It was just like it's basically about. This tall, nerdy dude, Steve Merchant, moves to LA. He's uh, he wants he wants to like sort of fall in love. He's very lonely, but at the same time, because he was such a nerdy kid back in London, he's trying to like reinvent himself and be like you know this cool hip guy. So he's always obsessed with you know being with the cool kids, getting into the cool club, dating the hottest women, and sitting basically trying to get a seat at the cool kids table. But it's just. He it's like it just becomes more, more. It's just very apparent that he's just not that guy. He just doesn't. He's trying to get in where he doesn't fit in. So mm, okay. a nerdy guy trying to date successfully. I don't know if there's anything in that show for me to relate to. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I mean, the guy himself. He's also kind. I mean, I don't want to say he's like unlikable, but he's he 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 does come off like a kind of selfish and and mm-hmm. at some points and whatnot, and very kind of self involved. But at this also, he you can see he does really want to meet somebody. Is very lonely too. Uh, anyway, this all ties into SNL because when I watched it, who comes out of nowhere? 
who's in the series that I didn't know, uh, Kyle Mooney. Kyle Mooney's in this oh, series. Yeah. Oh, that, that's cool. I had no idea that was something he'd done. Yeah, yeah. He did it for a year. And if you watch the show, there's like a bunch of other people who went on to do other stuff in comedy, like the woman that plays, uh, I believe it's Rosa in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think it's, Oh, sure. Yeah. She's in an episode. Uh, the guy that plays Sean on The Good Place, he's in an episode. You see like a few like people here and there who like are doing bigger things in comedy now. And you see, they were all on this show. It was a really good show. Very cool. Okay. Well, if it's on Amazon prime, I'm going to have to check that out. Cause I do have Amazon prime. Um, is, is the movie only on HBO? It's not on prime as well. Yeah. The movie's not on prime, but yeah, if you have HBO, uh, you could like on demand, you can find it. But like, I mean, the humor is interesting. It's very, it's kind of very like kind of cringy type of, if, if you're a fan of, Curb Your Enthusiasm or Seinfeld, you'll like the humor in Hello, Ladies. It's very much well, of that vein. Yeah, the, the original UK office is also very, very cringy. So that's kind of what I would expect for a, for a Stephen Merchant thing. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah. So if you like things along that in that vein, I think you'll get a kick out of Hello, Ladies. Oh, right? well, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I've been watching. I watched. Uh, I took advantage. CBS All Access was uh, offering a free month. Um of their service. So I decided to do that and catch up on Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard. I finished Picard. I'm still in the second season of Star Trek Discovery right now. Um, I wasn't able to finish all of it inside of a month. So I've like, I upped for an extra month of CBS All Access because that's how they get you. <laughs> um, the first hit is free. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I'm sure that's what they were counting on. Uh, <laughs> but. But but I've been enjoying catching up on those and there and yeah I've been figuring out like oh well what are what are some of the other shows that I want to watch on because like Brooklyn Nine Nine finished their season, Better Call Saul finished its season, um, and those were both great. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm kind of figuring out well what do I want to get to next? What are the shows I've been meaning to check out for forever and haven't? So but uh, Hello Ladies is one I'll check out. I didn't know that was out there. Yeah, yeah, Amazon Prime. Uh, what other shows can I... I mean, The Good Place, if you haven't seen that, I highly recommend it. That's uh, on Netflix, yeah. That's on my uh, Netflix view. Uh, I enjoyed Shit's Creek quite a bit, you know, of uh-huh. course. Um, of course, you've already seen Parks and Rec. Um, Parks, and Rec oh, they, Parks and Rec had their reunion special this Thursday. That's That was really something else. Dude, um, I didn't realize how much I needed that special till I got it. That was such a feel-good thing. If you have not seen the parks and rec uh reunion special with with all the characters in quarantine uh check it out if you're a fan of that show it will just make you feel so good right um, they actually put it up on uh you can watch it if you have hulu it's on hulu and they put it up on youtube for free wonderful wonderful so yeah there's no excuse not to watch it if you're a parks and rec fan um mm-hmm. yeah that, that was just terrific and and they they packed in so many fun cameos and surprises and and it was it was really good it's, it, it'll warm your heart in these uh, uncertain times. Yeah, but uh, we, we're here to talk about another project that has SNL connections, although we won't get to those connections for a little while. We're here to talk about uh, a Netflix movie, uh, A Futile and Stupid Gesture, which was uh, released in 2018, uh, directed by uh, David Wayne of the State uh, fame and Stella fame. Uh, he, he's also the director behind Wet Hot American Summer and Ro- uh, Role Models. And, yeah, he, he's he's got a great comedy pedigree there. Yeah, absolutely. And this film was written by uh, Michael Colton and Josh Abowd. 
and based on the book by Josh Karp. Yes, yes, a book by the, the same title. And it's a biography of Doug Kenny, who is not a name that's known real widely, but he was a very influential feature uh, figure in comedy. Right. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll admit, like, I, I kind of knew the name before this, before I saw this for the first time, but I didn't. I was, it's very, it's very faint. I really wasn't familiar with him or what he had done. Yeah, yeah. And unless you're like a hardcore comedy nerd, you you may not know that he was. Uh, Doug Kenny was one of the co-founders of the National Lampoon in the early 1970s. Um, he was a co-writer and actor in Animal House, and uh, he also co-wrote Caddyshack. And he did all of this in the space of about 10 years. Yeah, he 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 uh, he was something else. Yeah, that was you know, something else, and this this influenced so much of comedy just going forward from that point. Um, so he he really is a a pretty illustrious and influential fe- figure in comedy. Yeah, very much so. And then, I mean, the fact that they made this movie about him to sort of highlight that was like pretty uh, fantastic. I think you knew about I think you knew about this before I did, and like when it was when the, the trailers came out. And when they were announcing the cast of who was playing who, you like you were probably one of the first people I know that was like really like pumped up for this. Yeah, I I remember hearing article or uh, reading articles about it uh, when it was like in the planning stages, and th- this had kind of a long gestation process. I actually went just went on um, the blog on David Wayne's website at davidwayne.com, and he said uh, this movie's been a labor of love going back eight years when I was first approached by producers. Uh, Peter Principato and John Stern and screenwriters Michael Colton and John Abood to tell the amazing story of Doug Kenny. Um, so yeah, long gestation period as, as like a lot of movies are. So like I was reading articles about this in like 2016 where they were announcing who was being cast, but the movie didn't drop on Netflix until January of 2018. Yeah. I mean, and one thing I love about this movie is like the casting, I think the casting on this is pretty A+. plus. Yeah, the casting, um, let's see, I should, give, give me a minute on, on, uh, on I, well, IMDb. I'm going to look up the name of the casting director, because the casting director, whoever they are, deserves a shout out. Why don't you run through some of the, the casting people, or uh, the people that they cast? Well, I mean, our, our main character, uh, Doug Kenny, played by the great Will Forte, as we uh, all know from... SNL and of course MacGruber fame and if you've heard our MacGruber episode you know you don't need you don't need you need you know how I feel about Mr. Forte. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, who else today? Uh, Dom- I, I I just want to uh, toss in here real fast. The casting in this movie was by Allison Jones, who just Allison Jones. You did an amazing job on the casting of this movie. So go on. I stand. I applaud. We applaud and salute you, Allison Jones. Yeah. Here at SNL Nerd. And of course, uh, well, they have Domhnall Gleeson as Henry Beard, uh, mm-hmm. the, the other co creator of uh, the National Lampoon. Uh, Domhnall Gleeson, you probably know, of course, from Star Wars. Uh, who else? Uh, uh, we, we had a lot of today's comedy uh, actors playing the comedy actors of yesteryear. We have, we have Matt Walsh as Maddie Simmons who was uh, the publisher of the National Lampoon, who unfortunately just in the last week or two just passed away. Right, yeah, R.I.P. Uh, very sorry to hear that. Uh, we, we have we have Thomas Lennon from the state and Reno 911 
as Michael O'Donohue, who was a writer for National Lampoon and also a writer, one of the original writers for SNL. Yeah, dude, he was a great Michael O'Donohue. Like, that's the thing about the casting. Like, the person, the people that they chose for each person they were playing, they they look enough like them to pull it off, mm-hmm. but they all they're able also to able to like sort of capture that person's kind of essence and spirit. Like they're that kind yes. of you know crazy rebel you know, in, insane spirit that that person inhabited. Which, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, let's see, we also had we had Matt Lucas as Tony Hendra, who was another Lampoon writer. Uh, if you've seen uh, This is Spinal Tap, which we've covered on this podcast in the, in the past, uh, Tony Hendra, the real-life Tony Hendra, played Spinal Tap's manager. Uh, I don't think we can't. I don't think we've talked about Spinal Tap on this podcast, have we? Did we? No, we did an episode on Spinal Tap. We did? Didn't we? I don't think so. God, I, now now you're going to make me go through. Are you? Okay, you, you read through some more people, and I'm going to prove to you that we did Spinal Tap. Uh, dude, all right, one of us is losing it. I'm pretty sure we never talk, done an episode on Spinal Tap. If we did, I'm I, I'll I'll, uh, I'll all apologies, but I, I'm pretty sure we didn't. Uh, okay, okay. I'm looking. Uh, read read some more names. Okay, we got uh, Natasha Leone from American Pie fame, and. Um, Orange is a New Black and uh, Russian Doll played Anne Beats, uh, the one and the lone female writer on the Lampoon, um, mm-hmm. and also a writer on SNL. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Neil Casey as Brian McConaughey. I think that's his mm-hmm. name. Uh, who else we got here? Um, well, there's a. Well, sweet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those were the, the main writers, and then they talk about how they had uh, other writers, but didn't have time to kind of talk about them. They just focused on these yeah. four. Um, and by the way, uh, Neil Casey also wrote for SNL. So we have an SNL writer playing another SNL writer in this movie. Dude, meta. Yeah. Uh, uh, and by the way, yeah, you're right. We we have not done Spinal Tap. I thought we had. We've probably gone on a Spinal Tap tangent, and that's what I was thinking of. That's right. See, I, yeah, that's what I thought. Maybe we'll do a Spinal Tap episode in the future. It's like, you know. It's, it's got several cast members. But anyway, we're doing a, a few little oh. stupid guests. Sorry. Sorry, I'm talking about other episodes we might do while I'm doing an episode. Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, Tom Snyder is on it, played by Ed Helms. Uh, yeah. One of the best casting I thought was uh, Joel McHale as Chevy Chase. Now, I mean, those two are like they're cut from the same cloth comedically. They kind of look like each other. They both have the same mm-hmm. like butt chin, the dimple in the chin. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and they're both on Community. That's I mean, that's perfect uh, casting. Yeah. So, so I mean, if you think about it, Joel McHale, he did uh, like four years of research for this <laughs> for this part of working with Chevy Chase every day, um, and he he does a very nice job of embodying uh, a young, uh, uh, smartass Chevy Chase. Yeah. Um, I... uh, we we had let's see, you mentioned Ed Helms as, as Tom Snyder. We had John Daly as Bill Murray, Seth Green as Christopher Guest. John uh, Gemberling as John Belushi, Rick Glassman as Harold Ramis. Um, oh gosh, who who else? Uh, Max Greenfield as Chris Miller, another writer on the Lampoon and Animal House. Uh, uh, we have Armin Weitzman as Lauren Michaels. Yeah, yeah. Lonnie Ross as Ivan Reitman. There was a this this is a pretty pretty stacked deck. Yeah. Uh, oh, and Paul Shear has a basically a cameo role as as Paul Schaefer. Uh, which is that was also very cool, um, but this yeah this movie is something else in terms of the casting. There's there's somebody you love who pops up in practically every scene. 
Right. All right. So as far as um, the the lead the lead man the man of the hour the Doug Kenny like what did you know about him like uh, how the, was he just like a mythical figure in your mind or did you know like all his backstory or like what you know what did this uh, movie kind of what did it mean for you I guess I, I knew I knew the basics about him I knew that he was. Uh, that he played the part of Stork in Animal House, the guy who says, you know, well, what the hell are we supposed to do, you moron? And he was he was a co-writer of the movie, and I, I later found out, kind of through just being a comedy nerd, comedy nerd osmosis, that he was a big writer uh, and co-founder of the National Lampoon. Now, the National Lampoon was, it was really kind of before my time because its heyday was in the in the mid-'70s, and I was just a wee lad. Mm-hmm. Um so even though the, the National Lampoon was still around uh, when I was a kid, it, it wasn't quite what it once was. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. You know, it, wasn't, it wasn't the uh, the cultural force that it had been. Right. Yeah, I think like by around the time I came, I came around, I was more into Mad Magazine and whatnot. And by mm-hmm. that time, the Lampoon was kind of on the downslide. Yeah. And as I say uh, in an early sequence in the movie, when they're they're – uh, the character of Henry Beard and, and the character of Doug Kenny, they're going around, they're trying to sell uh, investors on the idea of this magazine. They say like, this is be- between Mad Magazine and the New Yorker, which is a nice way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, so it's for, it was for aimed at the people in the high school and college years who are looking for an irreverent humor magazine, um, but, but not ready for the, the maturity of, of the New York. <laughs> yeah, so not, not that classy just yet, but still not that mature. Yeah. But uh, so so those are the basics on, on Doug Kenny and the movie. Should we just dive into the movie and, and go through it? Sure. Uh, I mean, I love the way the movie opened with um, a quote from Doug Kenny saying, these last few days are among the happiest I've ever ignored. Yes, yes. Like the, it says a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's that's a quote that comes back uh, late in the movie, and you find out the full context of that. Um, and we have an opening. We see uh, Doug Kenny as a young lad, and he's riding in the back of a car, and he passes by uh, this group of cheerleaders who are who are practicing uh, all in uniform. And this right there, that's kind of a callback to or a reference to National Lampoon, uh, because the National Lampoon they published a high school yearbook parody that had uh, cheerleaders on the cover and it's kind of an infamous cover is like the cheerleaders are, they're spinning, their skirts are flying up. And then we see that one of them is not wearing anything under the skirt. We just see her bare ass on the cover. Hey now. Um, yeah. So, so right there we have like an Easter egg, just like a few seconds in. Yeah. Right off the rip. And uh, it, it shows them going to a funeral. Uh, mm-hmm. Somebody passed away. Um, you know, young Doug Kenny's in the backseat. Mom and dad are, upset crying uh they pull over uh they get out the father says well you know he the father says well you know that kid can stay in the backseat for all i care if he's not coming out and then but then it uh the kid says to the camera do you really do we really want to start here and then it cuts to uh martin mull who plays an older version of doug kenny if he had lived which it's, it's it's a little bit of a jarring um narrative device that they use and like it has it has martin mull kind of talking off camera to the director and we hear david wayne's voice talking to him saying hey can we can we start somewhere else is you sure we want to start yeah 
with this. And then it's Martin introduces himself as I'm Doug Kenny. I, you know, I changed the, I, I changed the, the, I was the voice of a comedy generation basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's an interesting device, and if you don't know the story of Doug Kenny and you don't know that Doug Kenny passed away at a, at a relatively early age, he passed away in his, his early 30s, um, you, you're aware of what an artificial device this is. But if, if you aren't aware of who Doug Kenny is, this will really hit you hard late in the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, so it's a thing, and it's irreverent, and, it's, and, and we'll cover that more in depth later. Um, I should also say we, we didn't... Uh, mentioned these two when we were talking about the cast. Um, two more people who are in the cast playing Doug Kinney's parents, Stephanie and Harry Kenny, are Annette O'Toole and Harry uh, Grainer, or Greener. I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, but uh, but yeah, that, but they're both great. Yeah, I've recognized that the father before. It's like, oh, it's that, it's that guy. I've seen him before. Yeah, you've seen him in a million things. He was in, uh, I first saw him on that, that Judd Hirsch sitcom, Dear John. Um. Uh, he's guest starred on on Star Trek: The Next Generation, and he's he, he's been in a million things. He's one of those. Hey, it's that guy. Uh, oh, he was in Buffy. He was the mayor. Oh, okay. Now yeah. I get it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but so um, you know, M- Martin Mull, who plays the older Doug Kenny, is uh, he's our narrator throughout this movie, and mm-hmm. it was a very interesting choice, I thought, because like, I mean, if if done the wrong way, it could have come across as maybe a little. A little tasteless or a little, uh, you know, inappropriate, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like a, maybe like wired, like the John Belushi biopic we talked about. But like yeah. you know, the way it was done, it, it, it really didn't come across like that at all, which I appreciate. Yeah, yeah. It, it works very well. He's he's credited on IMDb as modern Doug, uh, which is which is nice. Yeah. So it's it's like Doug Kenny, if he had lived to that age, what he, what he might say if he was looking back on his life. And it, and it is a nice irreverent sort of device yeah. and modern Doug, he says, let's start the film at Harvard because that's where the fun stuff is. And so we flash back to 1964, or I guess in this case, flash forward to 1964 uh, to a freshman mixer at Harvard where Doug Kinney meets Henry Beard. Um, and, and those two come together. Yeah. Yeah. Basically the, the, the two of them meet and they see that they have these like the name tags uh, Henry Beard had the name tag that said Jesus Christ. No, not that one. And, right. Which made me chuckle. And and uh, Doug just has a name tag with a drawing of a penis on it. And it's yes. dude, it's 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 just that that little thing where when you meet somebody who has the same type of humor you do, like that that's a magical moment. Yeah, yeah. They, these two have an instant bond, and within moments of uh, meeting each other in this movie. They start a food fight with the snobs who are basically like like the Omegas in, in Animal House. Yeah. Um, and then uh, that that cuts to four years later when they're getting ready to graduate from Harvard. They've taken over the Harvard Lampoon, the humor magazine. But they say it, it, it was the, the college's humor magazine, but it was mostly just an excuse to party. Right. Exactly. You know, look up and drink like, you know, college. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, at this party, we see. Uh, Doug, he introduces himself to a pretty girl at the, at the party, uh, by the name of Alex, um, who, uh, Alex Garcia Mata, who, uh, will, will become Doug's first wife or, or I guess only wife. I don't, I don't know if he ever married the second woman in this movie. I'm jumping ahead. Okay. Yeah. Dude, dude, let's yeah. Take it, take it back. Kanach. 
uh, but yeah, and also, um, also during his time in at Harvard, uh, him and Henry wrote uh, a book called Board of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, it- which was a Lord of the Rings parody. Which uh, this this was kind of one of the things that first made their names, and it, it was this bestseller. And uh, yeah, and, and this is of course in, before the days of Lord of the Rings being a movie, or even that uh, Ralph Bakshi animated version. This was. This was back when it was just a big book. Yeah, so. dude. Imagine spending all your time, devo- like writing an entire book that just makes fun of Lord of the Rings. That's that's dedication. Yep, yep. That is some pr- impressive uh, ner- nerdery there. Oh, um, but so you know, but they're getting ready to graduate, and then it, the question becomes like, well, what do you do after you graduate, and you have to start your real life? Um, uh, Henry Beard he gets accepted into law school. Like apparently all the law schools he applies for, Doug doesn't apply anywhere, um, and we we find out that uh, his his parents really don't care much for him during a phone call with him where he's explaining that he hasn't applied for any jobs or any grad school. Yeah, I mean, it, like, it seems like he more has problems with his dad than he does his mom. It seems like his mom kind of goes easy on him a little bit, but his dad is like, you know, like what are you doing? You know, like what are you doing with your life? You're you're screw up, and but he doesn't say you're a screw up, but he's. He's definitely harder on Doug than the mom. He all but says you're a screw up. I mean, it's like <laughs> you've got to get your life going. You've got to get your shit together. And he asks them each over the phone, oh, have you read the book? And and she has to, like, go find it and wherever it was buried unread. And she's like, oh, yes, it's very nice. I like the cover. And it's just abundantly clear that neither one of them has bothered to read their son's book that he's put all this work into. Yeah. Um, uh, and and ultimately, his father says, "Do you want to keep doing your jokes your whole life?" And that's that's the moment where Doug gets the inspiration. He's like, "Hey, let's let's keep doing jokes our whole life. Let's let's keep doing the lampoon." Right, and he, uh, has, I guess, he wants Henry to be in on it, and Henry takes mm-hmm. a lot of convincing, and is like, "I don't know, like I, you know, I could do, I could, I got accepted into all these law schools. This thing doesn't seem." Seems scary right. to me, but then, like after a while, Doug talks him into it, and I think Doug said at one point, "Look, it'll be fun, and the day it stops being fun, we'll walk away." Right, right. That's the pact that they make, and and Henry Beard. Apparently, this was a trait of the real life Henry Beard. He, he would just go tempting, tempting, and that was some, that would be something he would say both when he really liked an idea or when he really disliked an idea. So he was a very tough guy to read. Mm. Uh, Domino Gleason plays him as a very deadpan kind of guy so very very tough guy to read emotionally yeah like very kind of like egon from the ghostbusters ish yes yes very much yeah uh, and he also like he he had that pipe all the time like that yeah. old man pipe which uh that's a nice yeah. touch. yes because that's how you know he's into an intellectual <laughs> um so so doug and henry they go to new york city they try to shop the magazine around to sell it to people and we see some prospective investors and one of the first ones we see is uh, Mark Metcalf from Animal House, Niedermeyer, yeah. his own self. Yeah, Niedermeyer, they got him in there. How about that? Yeah. So it's it's just considering that National Lampoon produced the movie Animal House, it's it's a neat kind of irony to have Mark Metcalf in there who, as a guy who doesn't really want to get behind National Lampoon. And at one point he asked the guys, what do you want to do with your life? Which is the line that Mark Metcalf said in the Twisted Sister music video. <laughs> I want to rock! Yeah. 
And and we see during another one of these meetings when they're going to some other investors played by uh, Mitch Hurwitz uh, from Arrested Development and David Krumholtz, uh, the great uh, actor, uh, character actor, David Krumholtz. And we, we find out that Doug doesn't have good people skills. Uh, yeah, that's the thing about Doug throughout the whole movie. I don't know. It's like he's constantly like kind of joking. Like everything he says is a punchline. Everything he says is... Like, yeah. uh, like it's, he, he doesn't take life seriously, you know, yeah. that, that much. And he, he can't, he can't ever turn it off. He never gets serious and he never gets real, um, with anybody. And he, and when these two guys aren't enthusiastic about his idea, he gets angry and starts making fun of them and he ruins the meeting. Um, and these are, these are two guys that maybe they could have been persuaded. Who knows? Yeah. But you know, he, he's just very headstrong about like, no, we need this. I want this magazine to be just like he's very very he can be very he's very stubborn man and he's just constantly making jokes and whatnot but but that's which is why he has henry beard to sort of bounce him out a little bit yeah yeah we do see that these two are are good friends and they do balance each other's uh traits out uh nicely so so doug and henry they meet with maddie simmons who is the publisher of weight watchers magazine and he's like hey guys i know comedy i used to write wine liners for walter winchell so nice (laughs) And and by this point, they've gotten very used to the rejection. Um, and when when Maddie Simmons says, "Hey guys, I'm not going to waste your time," uh, most magazines fail within the first year, and they they realize like, "Oh, this guy wants to buy it. This is amazing." Yeah, yeah, they, they got a bite. The the, yeah. last, the last guy that they uh, that they talked to. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, and this they, they were pretty much on their their last legs at this point. So they've, they've got a magazine, they've licensed the name lampoon from Harvard and they're going to call it the national lampoon. And so they moved to New York city. Uh, Doug marries Alex, his girlfriend, Alex from Harvard. Uh, and the two of them are rooming with Henry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Alex, yeah. Alex said no until she got there. It's like, wait, what's he doing here? What's yeah. That? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's how she found out. Uh, yeah. Probably not how she re- really found out in life, but uh, yeah. it's a movie. You gotta make, take some dramatic license. It's yeah. more, it's funnier to see him just already be living there. Absolutely. Um, and they make a deal with Maddie Simmons that in five years, Maddie has to buy out their share of the magazine. Yes, Ma- so, Maddie Simmons played by the great Matt Walsh. Yes, um, and uh, so they they get they get going. They've got eight weeks to start a magazine. They hire a secretary. Uh, I'm calling her a secretary because it's the early 70s, and that's still what they called them then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, 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 hire, they hire a secretary who they call Mary Marshmallow because she's she's a very voluptuous woman. Yes. And and we see a, a funny scene where uh, Mary's in there. She, she's, she and Doug are flirty with each other, and then she walks out of the office, and we see Martin Mull as modern Doug, and he hits on her, and she just gives him the finger and walks off. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of fourth wall breaking throughout this where – like as soon as you like, it, you know, as soon as it looks like they're going, they're it, it, it kind of it constantly reminds you that it's that it's just a movie. Like they'll like Martin mm-hmm. will pop in as a narrator, then he'll interact with somebody in the movie, then he'll pop back out. Or yeah, you know, sometimes he's seen by the people in the movie, sometimes he's not. So it's constantly yeah. like fourth wall breaking. Yeah, it, it uh, it's neat, and you just have to roll with it. Um, so uh, Doug hires these hippie art directors. And he goes, they're cool. They know our crumb. Um, which, by the way, if you like biopics, check out Crumb. If you haven't seen Crumb, that's a great movie. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, and uh, also that's, that's uh, a documentary, not, yeah. not a biopic. But anyway, uh, also uh, the art director that believes are played by Michael Colton and John Abood, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, hey, that's cool. The screenwriters and also producers of the movie. That's that's very cool. They got a cameo. Uh-huh. Uh, and also they did this one thing that I liked when they hired all the writers, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Mike, Michael O'Donoghue, Tony Hendra, Ann Beats, uh, Brian and Brian. Like they, mm-hmm. they there's this one point where uh, the, the narrator, modern, modern Doug, he, he yeah. comes up and, you know, he talks about all these people they hired. Then they have a black couple coming up to him saying, oh, so there weren't any, uh, there weren't any funny black people you could have hired or, or women. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. and then, um, you know, modern. And, and, and these two are, are they are credited on IMDb as skeptical black man and skeptical black woman. And skeptical black man is played by Chris Red. Hey, remember? How about that? And yeah, and um, and it has modern Doug saying, yeah, you know, we I'm sure there were funny black people, but we just didn't think to look for any. It's just a different time, and you yeah. know. But to our credit, there weren't too many Jewish writers either. Uh, <laughs> um, and I like that. I like that they at least acknowledge the question, um, right. you know, and they don't, they don't make a meal out of it because the movie's not about that. It's about the people who were there, but it's nice that they acknowledge like, Hey, yeah, this, you know, this, this was, this magazine was started by hippies who were left wing and enlightened for the time and all that. But yeah, they, they were still further than they could have gone. Right. I, I mean, I think it was like, it was their way of sort of answering any, you know, maybe some negative feedback that the movie might have gotten or like, you know, like people would have, would have tweeted at them or something. It's a way yeah. of getting ahead of the, you know, trolls and people would have been, you know, yeah. giving them and, all and, and they also say after this montage that introduces all the writers, they were like, and there were a bunch of other people who wrote for National Lampoon, but we only need this many for the movie. So sorry, the rest of you. And then all these other extras walk off um right and it, it and other national lampoon writers included like very notable people like john hughes who, who went on to do uh uh the vacation movie uh that national lampoon did and uh uh 16 candles and the breakfast club and all that so yeah <laughs> i've heard of him john hughes he sounds familiar yeah, yeah. um but uh, and go ahead well no i just thought it was a good way to sort of get ahead of like, cause I guess with the thing with like biopics or anything, mm-hmm. like, anything like this, there's always people, you know, saying things like, Oh, well, that's not how it happened. Or, you know, actually it was actually like this, but they did that. Like, so yeah. I, I appreciate that they did that. And also we'll probably talk about it later when they do yeah. the, uh, the, the rolling credits of the stuff they left out and the stuff they changed throughout the movie. Yeah. Yeah. They, they actually have a list of almost all the artistic licenses they, they took over the course of this movie, and we'll read that a little later, uh, maybe when it comes up in the movie, or maybe at the end. I don't know. Um, but they they talk about how the the magazine just sort of evolved and the growing pains that you have in any kind of new venture. Um, we uh, ultimately uh, Doug fires the original art directors because they say, "Hey, the, you know, the art it it isn't funny. It just looks funny, and that doesn't really work with the humor of the magazine." And they they bring in another art director who does the art straightforward and deadpan, so it's not fighting the joke. Yeah, and you know then that's a real interesting insight. Yeah, that's a smart move. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it definitely is funnier. Um, and then they talk. They should. They have a montage of the as the magazine starts growing in popularity. Um, 
we we see a montage of Matty Simmons like storming out of his office about the latest people that they pissed off. He's like, "We're being sued by Disney for eight million." <laughs> and they're like, "Oh well, yeah, we had uh, Minnie Mouse flashing her tits on the cover." Uh, yeah, apparently you can't do that. Yeah, uh, Volkswagen sues them for thirty million for an ad, uh, and this was a real ad that ran in National Lampoon, or a real parody ad, I should say. Uh, where that's if Ted Kennedy drove a Volkswagen, he could be president right now. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Which dark, dark, so um, dark. And and uh, we had uh, you know Liza Minnelli um, uh, is pissed off at him for some reason. The American Nazi Party, and then they're like, "Oh wait, that's okay." Um, <laughs> yeah, the humor of this magazine, like it, it goes places. Like it goes places. I, I'm positive you couldn't go today. Yeah, very irreverent, very irreverent, and very and you know pretty fearless in what they did. It seems. Um, yeah, I mean, well, there's the one where with the iconic now uh, cover where they hold a, a gun to a dog's head and saying like, "Oh, yeah. you know, by this magazine, we'll shoot this dog." Like, there's no yeah. way. There's no way you could do that today. That was like their best selling issue, from what I understand, and that's and it's one of the most popular and most effective covers in magazine history. I um, mean, good God. So, you know, so, yeah, they're get, they're attracting all this controversy, but they're also growing in popularity. I mean, people are responding to what the magazine is putting out there and it grows in popularity. So they get more advertisers. Um, we see that they have a, another feature called Photo Funnies, which is just basically a one page gag strip, usually of somebody uh, talking with like a topless woman in there. Yeah, because um, boobs. Yeah, because boobs, you know, they they enjoyed putting boobs in there. And I'm sure that helped sell the magazine. Uh, you know, maybe you couldn't get your hands on a Playboy, but you could you could get your hands on a National Lampoon. And they see they show like a young lad looking at the, one of the photo funnies page. And then he just gets up to excuse himself to go into the bathroom with the magazine. Welcome to manhood. Uh, yep. <laughs> and uh, we've got, uh, you know, and they're working very hard around the clock to put out this magazine. Doug's spending all these late nights. In the office, there's a scene where Henry finds Doug asleep at his desk in front of a typewriter with a lit cigarette in his mouth, which I believe was a true story. Really? Mm-hmm. That's that's dangerous as hell. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as as the, they become more and more popular, Doug stays in the office more, and he neglects his wife more. Like his wife is yes. home waiting for him. As you do. As um. as you do. And uh, we see we see Doug as a guest on the Tom Snyder show uh, with with Ed Helms playing Tom Snyder. Doing a great Tom Snyder, by the way. Yeah, not too shabby. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, not not as exaggerated as like Dan Aykroyd's Tom Snyder, but uh, but a really good Tom Snyder. And and you, you again see just like Doug's irreverent nature just can piss off the people around him. Uh, oh yeah, that whole th- yeah, that was a good. I, we won't get into. Maybe we'll get into it, but like I loved what he said about that. It was it was pretty funny. Well, let's get into it. We're at that scene. Let's. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe we should do that. Uh, let me yeah. find it. But uh, hold on. Did I did I skip ahead of where you were in your notes? Uh, no, 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 no. You're you're a okay. Okay. Well, I mean, he's he like. Tom Snyder at one point he's like, well, you know, you have this one thing in this this current issue that uh, we can't show on TV, and then Doug just holds up the centerfold, which is a it's a, a naked uh, uh, black woman 
who's <laughs> just there. And she's got this huge uh, merkin on, I guess you should say. Um, <laughs> and he's like, oh, what? What's the problem? Is that <laughs> can we not show that? <laughs> yeah, that was I was like, wow. And oh, so then what happened? The line I liked during this interview was um, Tom Snyder saying, oh, Mr. Kenny, it's a fine line between being clever and offensive, isn't it? Then Doug yeah. says, look, can I just say something in defense of the National Lampoon for one moment? Tom yeah. says, please. Doug says, we come from a tradition of truth tellers. A long time ago, there was someone else society found offensive. They thought what he, they thought that what he did was radical, dangerous. They persecuted him and eventually killed him. Of course, I'm referring to Dracula. <laughs> I don't <laughs> And the way he just like... Does it? Will Forte. That's the thing about Will Forte. He can say like the most ridiculous thing and do it in such a deadpan manner and just never crack a smile or anything. Mm -hmm. And it just that just makes it all the more funnier. Yeah, yeah. It's it's great. It's it's really uh, funny stuff, and it's all the funnier because of the deadpan way that uh, Will Forte delivers. I I really enjoyed his performance in this movie. Um, but the the magazine is is getting more successful. And then they say, like, hey, let's expand to another medium. Let's do a National Lampoon radio show. And Henry Beard is like, we can barely put out a magazine. And, and Doug is like, well, let's barely be able to do something else. <laughs> he just wants to take on more and more things. It's pretty yeah. bonkers. And and Henry, he, he tries to kind of call Doug on his shit. And he's like, look, you made our secretary, Mary Marshmallow, a managing editor. And you wrote a piece called marshmallows having how you have sex with her and he's like are you having an affair with her and he's like yeah, well yeah oh dear but that's beside the point um, uh, yeah so, it's, oh yeah um so this this of course is going to come back and bite Doug in the ass later um but we see we see the radio the National Lampoon radio show starting we're in around 1973 now and it stars all these future comedy stars. We got Bill Murray. We got Gilda Radner. We got Christopher Guest. Uh, Seth Green was playing uh, Christopher Guest. I don't know if we mentioned that before. Right, he looks like him, too. He looks It's eerie. Yeah, yeah. I never would have thought of Seth Green as Christopher Guest, but he makes a really good young Christopher Guest. Um, we, we have John Belushi. We have Harold Ramis. And we have Joel McHale as Chevy Chase. Ooh. And and at this point... Uh, Martin Mull comes on and he's like, okay, look, these actors we hired, they don't all look like the real people, but you know, we, we had to change things from real life. And uh, do you think that I looked like Will Forte when I was 27 years old? Do you think Will Forte is 27 years old? And I love the way that this movie just constantly kind of called itself out on, yeah. you know, like they, like the movie, you, people know you have to like suspend disbelief a little yeah. bit when watching a movie. But th then this movie kind of called itself out on that, where it's just like, yeah, we know, we know, this is this and that's that. We like we, yeah. whatever you're going to tweet or comment online saying, oh, this was lame or blah blah blah. We know what you're going to say, and that's why we're putting right. it all in the movie before you get a chance to say it. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's also fun that when Martin Mull says, "Hey, do you think Will Forte is 27 years old?" <laughs> you see Will Forte react in the background. <laughs> He like just looks up from the from the sound booth he's in. It's like, hey, <laughs> yeah. He was like, uncalled for, Martin Mull. <laughs> uncalled for, <laughs> Martin Mull. I thought we were friends. Yeah. Aww. Um. But so so the the lampoon train just keeps on rolling, and we see um 
and and eventually uh, Doug's affair with uh, Mary Marshmallow is, is discovered, and Alex walks in on him sleeping with her in the office. And and this I thought was an amazing sequence. They did that in the form of one of the National Lampoon's photo funny strips. So it's just in still photographs with word balloons over their heads. Yeah, I really liked the way they did this. I thought it was a really interesting choice. Yeah, I loved it. And it's it starts out like a photo funny strip in the in the format where it starts out humorous and lascivious and then and then it takes a turn on the dime and it gets serious as soon as his wife Alex walks in. And then you just see him sitting on the couch and he's like, I don't think I ever wanted to be married. Like, oh. And then it and then it just cuts to a final panel of him just sleeping alone on the couch in his office. And wow. It's I mean that blew me away. It's one of the more powerful scenes in this movie, I'd say. I thought so. I thought so. I thought that was a really offbeat choice that, that worked really well. And I, I loved them using the format of the Lampoon to tell the story of one of the founders of the Lampoon. That was really clever. Yeah, that's a, that's a great choice. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, now we see, now that his uh, marriage is over, we see uh, Doug mm-hmm. kind of dive more and more into his work. And uh, then they start, you know, now that the radio show is taking off and the magazine is taking off, now they're starting to do a live show. That yeah. uh, that's also very successful. So now he, so now he's a part of the radio show, the magazine, and the live show, and he's just just burning the candle at both ends at this point. Just like doing yeah. all all types of drugs to stay up and stay like the fun party guy, and also getting a magazine done on time and a radio yeah. show and a live show. He just over right, right. it. Just he's it's it's to get into. The live show, by the way, was was the Lemmings, and that that also had a lot of people who went on to do SNL, like John Belushi, Gilda Radner, Chevy Chase. I can't remember if Bill Murray was part of it, but uh, you know, a lot of the people who were involved with the, the radio show were also part of the Lemmings. Right, right, and and we see uh, Doug. He's he's like uh, he's he's smoking dope to calm himself down. He's taking LSD for inspiration. And the success gets to him when we see him just walking through his life in a fog um, with all these demands on him, him and his time. And he finally just leaves a note for Henry tucked into their phone at their apartment, just uh, leaves a note saying, I'm going gonzo. And he, he just disappears from his regular life and he goes to stay with their college friends, Peter and Lucy. Yes, he, he goes off to Martha's Vineyard and hangs out with them for a bit. And, yeah. Uh... Yeah, then he's, he's able to sort of decompress and calm down for a little bit. But at the same time, he kind of left Henry hanging with the magazine to do all by himself until he comes back. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Peter Lucy uh, are played by Brad Morris and Carla Gallo, who I uh, remember from Undeclared. Uh, that that was a great sitcom. Yeah, no, that was uh, yeah, that was very underrated, that, that sitcom. Yeah. Um, so... And then, and then we go back to the opening scene of the movie. We have a flashback to the brother's funeral, or the, the what we find out is the funeral of Doug's brother, Daniel Kenny, who died of kidney failure. Right. And, and we we just kind of find out that the who his brother was like the golden boy of the family, and he died at a young age. And his parents, you know, it's it's a very it's a very walk hard Dewey Cox sort of thing. The wrong kid died, <laughs> and. Uh, Always mentioning Dewey Cox. Always gotta put in the Cox reference. Yeah, I got you, you love I love the Cox. You gotta you gotta bring in the Cox wherever you can. 
Tee hee hee. Yes. Um, um, so we, we, we find out about that. Um, and we've got, um, and then we, we go back to what is the then current day of, of the National Lampoon. We see them dealing with a bomb threat and we see uh, Thomas Lennon as Michael O'Donohue holding dynamite. Yeah. That somebody sent in. And as you do. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a weird scene. Um, but apparently I think it, that was, had a basis in fact. Um, I'm sure it was exaggerated for comedic purposes, but, um, and we, uh, meanwhile, Martha's Vineyard, Doug is, he's starting to write a novel called Teenage Commies from Outer Space that he describes as Salinger meets Mark Twain on acid. Cool. So, so it's, it's, it's a good sale. It's a good sell. Good pitch. Sounds, sounds like an interesting book. Sounds like an interesting book. Um, and then, but, and six months later, Doug finally comes back to the lampoon after everything, and it, it seems, I mean, the, the, the ship is, has kind of kept sailing, but things have kind of really gone to hell <laughs> since Doug disappeared. Um, we, we got uh, uh, Michael O'Donoghue and Ann Beats are dating. He says, Tony Hendra stole a sketch from Monty Python, and I think we're getting sued for them. And he says, and Maddie Simmons can't afford to buy us out next year um, in strict violation of our contract. So... Oh boy. Yeah. So all, all sorts of shit's going on. Yeah. It, it's, it ain't going good. Mm-hmm. And Doug, he tries to get back into work, get, get back into the grind of it, but he discovers he's kind of out of sync with the magazine after he returns. He like, he suggests a, an idea for a feature and he's, and everyone's like, Oh, well we already did that last month. So, yeah. So he's yeah, like I said, so he's kind of out of sync. Uh, there's a new guy uh, with PJ, or, PJ O'Rourke. Yes. Yeah. Who, who's another, you know, famous uh, comedy person. He, he eventually like took over the lampoon and he's written a lot of uh, humorous political books. Uh, he, he, of, of like a right wing bent, I, I believe. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. I um, so, so yeah, Doug's not doing so hot. So, so Henry recommends that he does, um, he, he does a special project. Um, uh, oh, by the way, Doug, he throws his, his book, his fully written book into the trash after Henry doesn't respond to it enthusiastically. Uh, um, yeah. Did anything happen? Wait, so that, so that book just never, nothing ever happened with that. Like no one dug it. Never started a lot of day. Never. Yep. Never published. Wow. Yep. Wow. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Okay. So, so Henry recommends that Doug do a special project, which is a, a high school yearbook parody, um, which becomes one of the Lampoon's like famous projects. They publish this as its own book in the in the format of a uh, of a high school yearbook, and they and they really duplicate it. I picked up years ago. I picked they they came out with a 39th reunion edition um, of the yearbook that just reprinted it, it, it's an entirety, and it is something else. Like it introduces all these students at the beginning and you kind of trace them through the year. And there, there's all sorts of subplots that they weave throughout it. It, it is something else. Well, so it's like a yearbook slash novel type of thing. Like the story within the yearbook. Yeah, almost. Yeah. 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 I would say. And there, and it's interesting. It's that like some of the character names that are in there, um, a pop up later in animal house. Like there's a Larry Kroger in there. And, uh, 
Uh, by the way, did you spot the little cameo when they show the yearbook photo of Larry Kroger? I did. I was going to say it, but I'll I'll let I'll let you uh, have the honors from that one. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. All right, well, yeah, when they when they uh, show the the uh, there's one there's one part where they show scenes of old uh, high school yearbook photos, and then they're, mm-hmm. they say, "Oh, there's always in every school there's like the, the pretty people, there's the dweebs, the outcast, the virgin, uh, there's the overlooked black guy." And then there's the nobody, and the picture of the nobody is uh, Larry Kroger, and uh, the picture they used was the high school yearbook picture of Mr. Paul Rudd. Yes, and uh, you know because uh, as we've established, Paul Rudd is immortal. Uh, it looks exactly like present day Paul Rudd. Yes, he'll he'll outlive us all. Yes, yes, Paul Paul Rudd is the Highlander. Yes, <laughs> there can be only one. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so that's neat. And, and Paul Rudd, of course, goes back with, uh, David Wayne since, uh, you know, he's done stuff with him since like wet hot American summer, at least. And, uh, he's appeared in Stella shorts and, and all that. So they're, they're old buddies. Absolutely. So that, so that's a neat cameo. Um, and then finally we were up to the end of the five, the first five years of the national lampoon. And as, Maddie said before he doesn't have the cash to buy them out. They're they're kind of a prisoner of their own success because uh, Maddie would have to pay them. It was like a total of seven million dollars or something to to buy out their shares in the magazine. <laughs> Oof. With but but uh, Doug he throws a tantrum. He he gets on Maddie Simmons' desk and he starts trashing the office. And so Maddie caves and he writes them their checks. Yeah, and he's, he's like, "Oh, you ruined us now. We we got no money." Yeah, yeah, and and immediately after they get their checks, uh, Henry Beard pulls out. He says, "We made this deal that if it stopped being fun, we would stop, and it has stopped being fun for me." And because uh, he he was left holding the bag when Doug had his breakdown and just disappeared for months on end, and he just says, "I'm tired of taking care of you." And then he walks out into the office and he says, good luck. Fuck you. Goodbye. I, I, I kind of wish that was my high school yearbook quote now that, after hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> that is an exit from, uh, from a job. That, that is the way everybody fantasizes about leaving a job at some point. I think. Oh, dude, like my, uh, my God. I mean, yeah. that, that's the way to go out. Like a true That's cheat. the dream. That's the dream. Good luck. Fuck you. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, and and Henry disappears for a long stretch of the movie after this. This is the last we see of Henry for quite a while. Yeah. And, and, and of course we see Doug. He's definitely broken up. He's actually more, which is something I noticed. Like he's way more broken up about this than he is when his wife left, which I guess, yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's a little thing that kind of goes throughout this whole movie where it's not really about, you know, Doug's wives or, or uh, you know his 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 romantic relationships. It's more about this this really strong friendship he had with this guy Henry Beard. It's like that's like the right. that's probably like the best relationship he's ever had, I guess, or the most meaningful. Yeah, I mean they're they're like uh, you know I've I've heard this term before. They're they're heterosexual life partners, you know. Mm. Um, so and be, because that's more directly related to the comedy, I I see why the movie puts the emphasis on that, even if that wasn't the, the case in real life, but. Um, but uh, uh, Doug puts PJ O'Rourke in charge of the magazine, um, and he's he's kind of low because like his best friend is gone, and everything's on his shoulders, and he's still got his problems with depression and self hatred and and all that, and 
but ultimately he meets he meets a new woman. He meets a woman named Catherine at a bar. Yes. And he he charms her against all reason, even though he like bites into a glass. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. I don't I'm after that, she still was like, oh, that's that's cute. I'll stick around like that doesn't scare you off as a woman. Yeah, yeah. It was the seventies. That was uh, being a psychopath was still charming. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, it was a better time. Yeah, no. And, and he, but he literally picks up a wine glass and bites into it, and he and then he just goes like, "What? Do I have glass on my teeth?" Yeah. Um, oh, we should also mention uh, Catherine's played by Emmy Rossum from um, Shameless fame. Yeah, yeah, and she's she's really good. I like her. She comes into the movie kind of late, but uh, but she does a, a really nice job with what she's got. Um, but he, he charms her. We see them walking home, uh, from the bar and, uh, there's, there's a guy on the street who's just playing, uh, the song, beautiful dreamer, the beautiful dreamer. Da, 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 da. Yeah. I don't know the lyrics to beautiful dreamer, but, uh, it's a very pretty song. Oh. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. And then they start having a relationship and then they start, uh, hooking up and it's a, you know, yeah. he's, he's getting back up there. He's getting back on the mend. He's he's found love once again, and uh, then we have a scene that uh, the movie tells us takes place in August of 1975. We see uh, Doug and his best friend uh, Chevy Chase visiting his parents in the house that Doug bought for them with the money that he's gotten from the lampoon. And he's like, "Hey, Dad, I know that uh, you you said you had trouble mowing such a big lawn, so I bought some I brought some goats to to." <laughs> <laughs> to eat the grass for you. <laughs> Which, uh, apparently, that is a thing that the real life Doug Kenny did. Yeah, like, we. I mean, we've said Doug is never serious throughout this movie at all. Everything's a joke, him. And but I got to admit yeah. that is getting goats is pretty damn funny. I'll admit that. That is funny. I'm sure it is horrifying if it happens to you in life, but <laughs> in the context of the movie, very funny. Um, and we we see you know, and Chevy, we see him inside with with Doug's parents just one on one and he he's like hey you must be proud of your son he, he's so successful and Doug's father just goes off and he says you call this success publishing a dirty magazine making fun of the president what is there to be proud of and and we see the camera pulls back and then we see that Doug has walked in and heard his father saying that about him and it's just oh yeah it's like dude he bought you a house to fucking have, have, yeah. have a little gratitude you old you old coop but it's, you know, the sad thing is that no matter how successful Doug is, it seems like nothing he, he ever does will please his parents or make his parents happy. Ugh. Gah! But, um, but then, then we skip ahead about a month to um, this new television show that Chevy Chase is on. And it's, this is like uh, September of 1975. It's some national television show. Let me see if I can get the name of this right. Hmm. Saturday Night. Um. Oh, I, oh, oh, oh. It, it says here that it later became known as Saturday Night Live. Okay, oh. okay. I'm, I'm with you now. I'm with you now. So, never heard of it. It's probably before my time. I don't know. I am not familiar. I should check that show out sometime. I hear good things. <laughs> sounds good. It sounds. I, mean, I like the title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's. You could abbreviate it. I bet. Oh, like a SNL or something. I was thinking like like SNL nerds, but if you drop the word nerds, you could just mm. call it SNL. That just seems very catchy and clean. And mm. I like it. I like it. It's a good name. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, we should get this Twitter handle before it gets taken. 
I mean, can you imagine if that Twitter handle was taken by somebody? Right. And we had to like, settle for a Twitter handle like uh, uh, SNL Nerds Show. <laughs> oh, God. That's, that's, that's just ridiculous. And what if, what if, like, if it was, like, extra absurd and it was, like, the Twitter handle was taken by someone who has literally never tweeted under that account? <laughs> And has like no followers and follows no one. Oh, dude, dude uh, that's now you're just being a now you're just being silly. And then like you report it to Twitter to see if like that account could possibly get shut down so you could get this handle that should be rightfully yours. Uh, and uh, uh, you you haven't heard back from Twitter like weeks after you've written them, right? Oh my, God. dude, this is this is like a comedy. You should be writing this down. I know. I, it's so absurd. I mean, who would believe it, right? This could be a sketch on that SNL thing you just mentioned. Thing. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, uh, all right. So yeah, let's 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 uh, let's keep talking about this SNL uh, Saturday Saturday Night Live. You said Saturday Night Live. Yes, because they say it is on in the middle of the night on huh. a Saturday, and it is a live program. Huh. All right. I mean, it's it's uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that'll work, but all right. I'm sure it's going to die a quick death. I mean, they, they can't be as successful as a National Lampoon. Come yeah. On. Oh, no way. But, but we, we cut to Doug and uh, uh, Catherine at home watching the first episode of SNL. And it's a, it's a nice reconstruction of the very first sketch from the very first show of uh, Michael O'Donohue and John Belushi doing the translator sketch where the, I would like to feed your fingertips <laughs> to the Wolverines. Yeah, it's a pretty good recreation, beat for beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, go ahead. Well, no, yeah, Catherine, she she likes it, but Doug looks at it with kind of disdain, saying, mm-hmm. oh, you know, like NBC actually approached Marty to come up with a show, and Marty said that they were too busy so they didn't do it. Maddie. Oh, Maddie, I'm sorry. Matt, Maddie yeah. said they didn't do it, so like now NBC kind of circumvented them and got the show on the air and took their people. Yeah. So he's looking at it like very, uh, like like what the what the fuck? type of thing. Yeah, yeah, he's like SNL poached all our talent and we had the chance to do this a uh, Lampoon TV show 8 months before and uh Maddie turned them down. Yeah. Uh so so then we see we see Doug Kenny he goes to an SNL after party and Michael O'Donohue and Ann Beats are both there. They've at this time quit the Lampoon and they're both writing for SNL and and Ann Beats says like, "Oh, it's fun. It's like the Lampoon used to be." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, yeah, the time has kind of passed the lampoon by. Yeah. And, um, I like how she and, she's trying to cover up her tracks. Like, oh, don't listen to me. I'm drunk. You know, you know, yeah, you, you, know yeah. you get you get fucked up. And and, and she's like and uh, and they, they worked some a uh, couple genuine Michael O'Donohue quotes in there. He's like, uh, uh, I, don't, I didn't. Yeah, it's like uh, TV is like napalm for the masses. It, it it blows up real good, but it sure makes a pretty glow or something like that. And um and then Ambit goes like, "Oh, he's just pissed because they want him to write sketches for the Muppets." And this is a mu- another real Michael O'Donohue quote. He just goes, "I don't write for felt." It's a great line. That's such a great line. A great line. <laughs> when Michael O'Donohue could hate something, it, it, he just hated it so purely. It was wonderful. Oh, <laughs> I don't write for felt. Um, but. But they're they're like, but they're still glad to see Doug, and they're like, "Hey, Doug, you should you should come meet Lauren. Go come meet Lauren Michaels. He's the guy who created the show." And and we have uh, we meet Lauren Michaels. Yeah. Uh, uh, what was the name of the actor playing Lauren Michaels again? I have to look him up again. Um, uh, bah, bah, bah. Hold on, I'm on it. I'm on it. Yeah. Uh, 
Armin Weitzman. Ah, I was on it. Yeah, Armin, that's okay. Beat you to it. Ah. But uh, um, and and he does a pretty nice young Lorne Michaels, and he's like, well, you know, I feel like we fe- we share a sensibility, and and Doug's like, yeah, and writers and a cast, <laughs> and <laughs> this movie, it, I mean, because the movie is presenting SNL and Lorne Michaels from Doug Kenny's point of view, it does not paint a positive light towards Lorne Michaels. Yeah, it, he he don't come out too great in this one. Yeah, and but but Lauren makes a job offer to Doug, um, and and Doug just resentfully turns it down. He's like, "I don't need a handout," you know. He's just still very resentful. Yeah, because uh, it feels like SNL poached everything that he came up with. Yeah, it's like, oh, so you're gonna take my stuff and offer me a job to work for you? Yeah, on my stuff, like. Oh. Right, right, and and Lauren is like, well, that, that's not that's not quite it. We'd be working together, and he's like, but you'd be my boss. <laughs> uh, so, and you can really see where where Doug Guinea's coming from here. Yeah, no, absolutely, he's, he's he ain't wrong. Yeah, um, and so so Doug decides to to do his own thing, and he gets together, um, with with Harold Ramis, and they're like, let's do a National Lampoon movie, and they propose. A as we covered in our Animal House episode, they proposed a movie called Laser Orgy Girls, which was about Charles Manson in high school. Um, now that sounds like a, that's a movie. I mean, that I cannot imagine a more commercial idea for a major motion picture than Charles Manson in high school. I mean, come out and bring the kids. Um, but but Maddie Simmons very sensibly says, "Hey, look, uh, we got like one shot to make a movie." Uh, the most popular feature in our magazine is Chris Miller's College Stories, and we and we should we should expand that and make a college movie. That that would be a good safe bet. And so they they approach Chris Miller, who's played by uh, Max Greenfield from New Girl, and uh, what's his new show, The Neighborhood? Yes, he's been, yeah, he's been doing it for a couple of years with uh, uh, is it Cedric the Entertainer. Yes, it is. Okay, okay, I am remembering that correctly. I haven't watched much of that show, but. Uh, I'm aware of it. It exists. And they all, they also bring in Ivan Reitman played by Lonnie Ross, who uh, you probably know him from 30 rock. He was one of the cast members on 30, uh, like the cast members of TGS in, in 30 rock. Right. Yes. And he, and he looks a fair amount like uh, young Ivan Reitman. Yeah, definitely in the face. He's, like, he's a little skinnier, but like face wise. Yeah. Again, the casting on this thing is just uh, mm, chef's kiss. Oh, a, a plus. Yeah, uh, what, what was her name? Allison. Uh, let's see, I almost got it. Uh, <laughs> we forgot it already. Well, I'm bad with names. I'm not, it's nothing, nothing personal. I remember the first name Allison, and I can't remember Allison, Allison Jones. Yes, Allison Jones. Allison Jones. Second shout out of the podcast, Mrs. Jones and me. <laughs> um. So, so they're starting to make Animal House, and we see. We see them shooting some of the iconic scenes from this iconic comedy, and uh, this is this is the part where we've got uh, a bit of an interesting story to tell. What? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so this morning we are getting ready to record the podcast as we do, and we we do our our usual thing where we tweet and we're like, "Hey, do you have any questions, comments about the movie?" And just on an impulse, I decided to tweet at David Wayne, director of this movie. And uh, David Wayne actually responded. What? Yeah. What, what? What? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's it's it's very cool. It's very very cool. 
um, I was just like, hey, David Wayne, you got any cool trivia to share on your movie? And uh, he he actually responded. He, he responded to me and he said, what do you want to know? <laughs> um, so, um, and yep. he, he shared a, um, a, a, a short video, which was an, a breakdown of a particular shot in the movie, which is... Um, uh, we, we see them, we see the cast of Animal House, they're all gathered outside the Delta House and they're getting, <laughs> and, and they're all shooting out there. And the Delta House looks just like it does in the movie Animal House. I yeah. mean, it is amazing. It is dead on. You think, you see this and you're just like, oh, well, they obviously went to Eugene, Oregon and found the original house and they just shot at that house. Oh, okay, that's cool. Um, but no, that is not what they did. Because wow. that house has been torn down. I, so, I I swear I, did, I had no idea this was all CGI till the, t- till this tweet came out. Yeah, this is CGI, and it shows the shot, and you see Martin Mull just walking into frame, and he's walking towards this big blue screen, and they they CGI'd the house, the Animal House house, right in front or right in the background of this shot, and uh, I mean, it, like what they built, they basically just built some hedges and some stairs, and then they have some picnic tables out in front of it. <laughs> And it is something uh, we're uh, we're going to retweet this from the SNL Nerd Show account, and it is something else to see. And so, thank you very much, David Wayne, for tweeting it, uh, that at us because we had no idea that was a, a VFX shot until you showed us that video. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, that is that is just seamless. Oh. Um, wow. And uh, David Wayne, he also said we had minor CG. Oh, I asked him. I said, "Was this the first time you worked with CGI in one of your films?" And he said, "We had minor CGI." In various things over the years, but this was probably the most elaborate. So, uh, so that was very cool of David Wayne, and he just uh, responded to us just a few hours ago, which is very, very cool. Look at us; right. we, have, we have the ears to Hollywood. So, yeah. <laughs> we do, we do, we do. And uh, he also showed uh, how another effects shot was done with a an effects video. So, uh, we'll get to that in just a little bit. Um. But uh, yeah, so the, so this is fun. We see we see some of the the, the famous scenes from Animal House being shot. Um, uh, and, yeah, uh, well, we we see like the food fight, but we also see uh, one of the I guess it was the producers kind of giving mm-hmm. you know kind of being upset with the movie about like uh, I mean they're, they're particularly talking about the one scene where the uh, the guys in the frat leave their dates in the all-black club, and he's like, you can't have that in the movie. There'll be race riots. And that's that's uh, Brad played by uh, Joe Latrulio of the state fame. Of the state, who is it? Yeah, so he was in the state with uh, with David Wayne, and uh, you'd probably best know Joe Latrulio from playing, um, uh, oh, God, I'm blanking on his character name. On Brooklyn Nine-Nine, he plays um, uh, Andy uh, Samberg's partner. Hold on a moment. It's okay. It's okay. We'll move on. Um, uh, but yeah, he's he's objecting uh, to the movie, and uh, Charles he's, he plays Charles Boyle on uh, on Brooklyn Nine Nine, and yeah. um, <laughs> so so Animal House comes out and it's a it's this big hit movie. It's it, it comes out in July nineteen seventy eight, and uh, and we we see them at the bar. They're all celebrating the success, and everybody's. And then, and then we see Joel Atrilio come back as as studio executive Brad, 
who's like, hey, I, I was never against the movie. I was behind you the whole way, buddy. What are we going to do next? I mean, he's just such a, a fair weather friend. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, whatever you want to do, man. It's great. You're great. Everything's great. Yeah. And uh, and that's that's something that's really in in uh, Joel Atrulio's wheelhouse is he's he's very much. He can he can play a sycophant really well. <laughs> That's a compliment, Joe. It is a compliment, Joe. I, I actually met Joe Latrulio very briefly in real life, and he's he's a very nice person. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Um, uh, but and but uh, Doug, he decides that you know he's got this big successful movie under his belt. He's going to leave National Lampoon once and for all, and he's going to move to Hollywood. And he walks out of this this uh, bar, this nightclub, the village gate in New York city. And we see in one unbroken shot, he walks out of this nightclub in New York and it's a night scene. And then he and his girlfriend, uh, Catherine, they just turn and they start walking uh, left of frame. And then it suddenly goes from night to day. And he, we see his, him walking right onto a studio lot and this is one unbroken shot. I mean, it's amazing. You you see this, and it's just like, oh my god, this is this is great. But David Wayne he tweeted a video to us uh, that showed how they did this shot, and it's right. it's really we'll, we'll tweet this video out too. He tweeted at uh, us because we're personal close friends with him. So we are personal close friends. Yeah, I actually, uh, I, I David Wayne would not remember this. I met him once in in life too at this at the same party where I once met Joe Latrulia, wow. and I feel like such a creepy name dropper even saying that. But <laughs> I, I don't want to say anything. But uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I, I barely talked to David Wayne at the, at this party, so don't don't think it was any big deal. But it, but it was cool. Yeah. But it's a it's a really neat shot. Like Will Forte, he just comes out. He he takes off. The, the shirt he's wearing, he's wearing like this Hawaiian shirt underneath, a short sleeve shirt. And it just literally goes from night to day. And it's really something to see. And uh, it's best just be in the video to see how they did that. Yeah, it's pretty legit. Uh, so, so, yeah, so now they're in L.A. Um, Chevy's out there. Chevy's out there with him. And uh, this, mm-hmm. this is where Doug starts to get his uh, cocaine problem. Chevy is out there with him and cocaine is out there with him. Cocaine moved with him to California. Um, yeah. Apparently. He probably a seat for cocaine on the plane <laughs> in California. Um, because that's just how important cocaine was in the late 70s, apparently. Yeah. That, that ain't carry on. It needs its own seat. It, it, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you you pay all those thousands of dollars for cocaine. You're, you're going to get cocaine. It's on airplane ticket. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> But uh, and we see like a big party at Doug's place out in California, and he's and we see him at one point. He's calling his mom, and he's like, "Hey, mom, did they finish building the pool at your house? Does Dad like it?" And we, we again, we we see that no matter what he does, his parents will just never be pleased, and they will never give him the love that he wants and that he obviously needs from them. Yeah, it's a it's a bummer. It's it's a it's a sad scene, and. Um, and then uh, later he gets sort of a wake up call. He 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 goes back to the party after this call with his parents, and he discovers that he left uh, his girlfriend Catherine waiting at the airport for two hours. Yeah, like, for, he was flying in that day. Yeah, because like, oh, I thought I was, I thought that was tomorrow. Well, yeah. uh, this this party's for you. Hey, yeah, it's a welcome home party. Yeah, yeah, and he, you know, here there's this woman. Uh, her name is Missy, and and she just goes, oh, my name's whatever you want it to be. And uh, 
a little subtle in-joke. She is dressed uh, just like Cindy Morgan as Lacey Underhall in Caddyshack. Hey, now. So, uh, yeah, she's wearing like the same sort of uh, top that uh, I believe the character Lacey Underhall is, is wearing when she's first introduced in that movie. So that, that's a neat uh, little in-joke there, a little Easter egg. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, his girlfriend's visibly upset. They get into a fight. And um, I think uh, she ends up throwing one of his mugs against the wall, spilling cocaine everywhere. Yeah. Cocaine is literally just everywhere. And uh, the, the mug, by the way, is a little uh, uh, Dwight Eisenhower mug, just like the, what Conan O'Brien keeps on his desk on, on the Conan show. Yes, but his Dwight Eisenhower mug is filled with cocaine. Yes. Uh, I would wager that uh, Conan O'Brien's Eisenhower mug is probably not filled with cocaine. No, it's just it's just hot chocolate and 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 comedy. I don't know. Yes, hot chocolate comedy and and just good vibes. Yes, because because it's Conan O'Brien. Yeah, it's cool. It's good times. All right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and during the fight, Doug just kind of yeah, he gets very upset and he leaves her and he begins writing because like of that's mm-hmm. the thing he does. He's not that's the thing that the movie kind of shows that he's not very good at expressing himself if it's not through a joke so when he, he gets upset he, he just goes dives head first into his work so he just begins writing yeah. the script which of course ends up being caddyshack caddyshack and then we we cut to the making of caddyshack uh, and, and uh, as bill murray puts it john daly's bill murray he just says to uh, the fellow playing his brother brian doyle murray who is also a writer on caddyshack he says harold's never directed doug's never produced Rodney Dangerfield has never acted. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and like literally everybody on that set was on cocaine. Yes. So yes. much cocaine. So much cocaine. Cocaine should have gotten billing in the film. It should have gotten an airline <laughs> ticket out to California. It needed a billing in Caddyshack. It, uh, cocaine did a lot of stuff in, this, in the last part of Doug Kenny's life. At the very least, an EP credit. Yeah, yeah, and um, and at one point, Doug, or I think it's modern Doug who says this. He says, "All I had to do was top Animal House and make make the next biggest comedy of all time." So it is setting up Doug for a big time sophomore slump here. Yeah, it is. And and we see Doug. He's having he's having visions, and we see John Daly do a nice approximation of Bill Murray's lounge and Nick the Lounge Singer character from SNL, and uh, and and we see um, uh, playing Paul Schaefer. We have uh, Paul Shear. Paul Shear. Yeah, Paul Shear from uh, the How Did This Get Made podcast and lots of other stuff. Um, and he does a nice Paul Schaefer. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does again. Ca- casting. Casting. Again, it's it's a it's basically a bit part, and they could have gotten some no name actor to play it, but no, they got Paul Shear to play Paul Schaefer in like this one scene, and the movie is so much better for it. It's uh, again, thank you, David Wayne and Allison Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> um, you know, then and in this vision, they're talking about how Doug has kind of let down everybody in his life. He's let down his dad. He's let down Henry. He's he drove away Alex. He'll probably drive away Catherine. And it's just it's all of Doug's self-hatred and self-esteem issues coming out in this vision. Yeah. And it's pretty rough, but funny. It's pretty rough. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, and it, and it finds a way to convey his depression and self-hatred in sort of a comedic way. Right. And um, so as they're keep as they're filming the movie 
and uh, doing all the cocaine and on the planet Earth, uh, they mm-hmm. they have another visit from Brad about how like they got like the first cut was like four hours long, and yeah. like, ver- Brad's very concerned about like this whole thing, and that's when he comes up with the idea of oh we're putting this gopher in this movie, this gopher puppet. It's going to be in the movie because it's my money, yeah. and I want it. Yeah, we we want this mechanical gopher in the movie as much as possible. We had the the people who worked on Star Wars work this up, and oh. and Doug is like, no, this isn't a kids movie. We don't want a, a mechanical gopher in this movie because um, uh, apparently. Uh, Caddyshack was rather infamously recut uh, by the studio to emphasize the movie is supposed to be about the caddies and it's like supposed to be another sort of underdogs versus the, the rich snobs type of thing like animal house was, but uh, the, the studio recut it and they put more emphasis on some of the rich, rich stops like the character that Chevy chase played in the movie. Right, right, right. I remember hearing about that, how like, like Doug and some of the other people were just dead set against this, Go for being mm-hmm. in it, but they didn't really have a say, and you know, yeah, studio just wanted their way because it's their money. And we see this fight between Brad, the studio exec, and Doug. It erupts into an actual fist fight, and they, they, it spills out of their bungalow on the on the Universal lot. And of course, it happens just as a tour guide is coming by. And uh, then we have another interesting cameo in this movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, do, do you want to talk about uh, the tour guide that we see? Uh, well, no, you can go ahead because like, I got to pull up the page. Oh. <laughs> I didn't pull it up. All right, all right. The tour guide is played by uh, Martha Smith, who is basically reprising her role of, of Babs from Animal House. Who, if you remember Animal House, the end, it says she becomes a tour guide at Universal Studios in California. So she is there. She is leading this this tour tram uh, through, and she is doing her her Babs Jensen voice. <laughs> And she's like, and and here's where the people who wrote Animal House work, and I'm sure they're coming up with a great new comedy. And then just then the the fight spills out, and Doug Kenny starts typically beating Brad, the studio exec, with the gopher. Yeah, ask, um, ask for Babs. Ask for Babs. Ask for Babs. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like because of that fight, he kind of gets Doug gets sidelined on his own film, and yeah, um, he's just not happy with it. Um, but so, and, and, yeah, hey, go ahead. Well, no. So then after that, uh, they start doing after the film that after the film wraps, they do a, um, like a, they go on a press run for the film. So they go to New York. Um, right. Doug calls Henry saying, you know, saying, Hey, I'll be in New York if you want to meet up at a bar and talk. But, I, I love but there is, there's something before the, the reunion with Henry is Doug. He sees another movie that came out. Oh, right, right, right. In, in 1980. He sees, and we see actual footage, archive footage of this movie. We see the movie Airplane. And uh, we see Leslie Nielsen says, say, I am serious and don't call me Shirley. And Doug, he sees this movie and he's very depressed because he realized, like, this is the next thing in comedy. This is the, it's a paradigm shift, you know? And yeah. he's, he's depressed because, you know, it, it, it's the great comedy of 1980 and he didn't write it. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it sucks that, like, he's, that this comedy that, you know, you and I both love, it kind of caused this one guy to be bummed out. I mean, he wasn't, I guess, he was, I guess he wasn't wrong, because it was just like, I don't know, he just, he just saw that as, oh, that's the new thing, I'm, I'm on my way out, like, that's, I've yeah. had, I've, I'm, I'm a has-been already. Yeah, and he, uh, as you said before, he meets up with Henry Beard, his old friend Henry Beard, for a drink in New York City. And there's there's some great dialogue between them, which just summarizes the problem. Um, 
Henry, he's trying to build up his friend. He says, you wrote the most successful comedy movie of all time on your first try. And then Doug just goes, that was two years ago. Oh, your heart, your heart just breaks for him, man. It is. It's, it really, it really is like a, some insight because to show like, like on the, on the surface, everything he's done has been, has been a success. He is a successful person. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just weird. Like how you can be somebody who has, who's like done all these things, conquered all these mountains and still just be miserable inside. Like, damn. Yeah. I mean, and it really shows that, I mean, no matter how successful you are, if you have that propensity for depression or self-hatred or whatever, that never really leaves you. That is always there. And especially if you're like, if you're taking drugs or what, or if you're drinking or doing drugs or whatever, that is just, that's not going to help. Yeah. You're just, or it might help short term, but it, it is not going to help in the long run. It is just going to increase what is already there inside you, you know? Yeah. Like you just be miserable, but with, but with more toys and more stuff around you. Yeah, yeah. Oof. And um, he finds out that, that Henry, in the time that they've been apart, Henry's just found some some happiness. He's, he's, he's with, he's met a lady, he's with a girlfriend who's, who has a, a child of her own. And Doug is just amazed. He's like, you have a family. And, and Henry goes, yeah, it's actually easier than running a magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, it, it's a great scene between the two of them, man. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Henry, he's, he can tell that Doug is kind of spiraling and he's like, Doug, you know, you can call me anytime. Right. And, and Doug, you know, he doesn't quite hear it. He, he, he goes off to this press event uh, for Caddyshack at Dangerfield, uh, at Rodney Dangerfield's comedy club, Dangerfield's. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So there's this press junket at Dangerfield. They're all waiting for, Doug to get there, but he's running incredibly late. So they're like, all right, I guess we'll start without him. So mm-hmm. they, they begin the uh, press junket tour. And then J- Doug kind of crashes in and he just, he makes a big scene. He says, this movie's shit. Like this movie's garbage. I don't, I hate all of it. And, yeah. Uh, he, yeah. He, he makes, it's, it's, it's quite a spectacle. He makes. It is. Yeah, it is a spectacle. He is, he is drunk and disorderly and uh, probably stoned as well. And, <laughs> He discovers like in the middle of this rant, he's like uh, that his parents are actually there. You know, he, t- he turns and he sees his parents and he's like, what are you doing here? And they're like, you begged us to come. And Doug is just so far gone. He doesn't even remember this. Yeah. And it's like his, his, mom, his mom looks at him just like with just, you know, just very concerned look on her face. And the dad can't, can't even look him in the eye. So it gets yeah. it, it gets very uncomfortable very quick. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like, oh, geez, he is he is really in a bad way. So, uh, Chevy Chase, being a good friend to Doug, or as a good a friend as he was capable of being, he 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 takes Doug out to Hawaii, and they go out to Hawaii, and they they just decompress from everything, and they spend they spend six days, and they're totally clean. Yes, and. Uh, but, and then they're getting bored out of their minds, so they have cocaine shipped to them. Yes, in tennis balls. In tennis balls, yeah. Um, they're they're just like out by the pool, and they're just like, I'm bored as hell, are you? And they're just like, yeah, I'll call my guy. And they get, presumably the next day, get cocaine shipped to them in tennis balls, which, that if that's real, that is clever as hell. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure TSA is on to you right nowadays, but still. Probably, probably. If you're putting your drug shipping methods into a Netflix movie, I hope the TSA would pick up on it. But, yeah. 
I don't know. Uh, drug dealers, tell us how you are uh, shipping your drugs these days. Yeah, drug dealers, call in. Tell us, how are you shipping your drugs these days? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're curious. We want to know. FedEx, is it? Uh, like, what is it? Yeah, yeah. What do you do? Um, <laughs> Airborne Express, you the messenger, what's, what's, what's the haps? Yeah, but we see um, we see Doug and Chevy, and they're, they're reading bad reviews from Caddyshack, and, and it was not a good re- reviewed movie in, in its time. Um, it, it was much more appreciated now, but it was it was not well reviewed when it first came out. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, well, you know, it's like what we were saying a, a, a couple weeks ago with uh, with the Lonely Island movie Hot Rod, which uh, yeah, that wasn't terribly well, remo- uh, well reviewed or appreciated when it came out, but it's it's more of a cult thing now, and yeah. there's a huge cult with. Uh, with Caddyshack now. Yeah. Like I, I remember, like I remember like another film, like the big Lebowski, but I remember when it came out, it didn't do well, but like now mm-hmm. there's like a whole fucking shrine to it and people pray at it. They, yeah. We all they, they have like conventions for it. It's uh, it's something else. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Alex shows up or, or excuse me, not Alex, uh, Catherine. I wrote, I wrote down uh Alex, because uh, I was getting the the wives and girlfriends mixed up. Sorry about that. Um, Catherine shows up, and and Chevy left the night before. And again, this is presented from Doug's point of view. So you're as disoriented as an audience member as, as Doug is. The character of Doug is in the movie because he's just losing all track of time because he's just spending all his days drunk, stoned, and depressed. Right. Drunk, stoned, brilliant. Uh, yeah, drunk, stoned, brilliant, and uh, you're, you're unfortunately gearing up for dead. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> oh boy! Um, so so uh, Catherine leaves, and she encourages uh, Doug to call uh, Henry, and you know, just unfortunately, everyone just kind of leaves Doug because they have to get back to their regular lives. Uh, I think in real life, Chevy Chase had to go back for. Uh, to to be shooting a movie or something like that, he had he had some other commitment that he had to get to, and so Doug is just by himself in Hawaii. Right, right, and then at this point, uh, he's uh, you know he's just kind of getting himself together mentally, and then he says, mm-hmm. "Oh, you know what? I think I'll go take a hike." And then yeah. then they show him driving up to this uh, this uh, sort of mountain part in uh, in Hawaii, and he just goes on a hike. And at one point, they they show him kind of looking you know, over some mountains and he kind of, right. he takes off his glasses just to look at the mm-hmm. mountain be more blurry. And-, and, and let me, let me just back up a little bit because this is going back to something we saw at the very beginning of the movie. We see him writing in, in a yellow uh, lined uh, notebook. He just said, he writes the quote that the movie started with these last few days are among the happiest I've ever ignored. Wow. It's a powerful line. Which, yeah, yeah, and that is that is something that they found in Doug Kinney's uh, notebook uh, after he he passed away. Right, right. Uh, so, so then after that, he goes up to the mountain. He kind of looks at the mountain range, and then they cut to um, Henry Beard. You know, entertaining some friends in mm-hmm. his house. He gets a call, and we yeah. see something's happened because his yeah. face just kind of drops. And then they cut to uh, Doug's glasses. And sneakers on the on the cliff, and yeah, they, just sitting there on the mountaintop. Yeah, and then they cut to like a like a like a basically Doug's funeral because he passed. Away. Yeah, yeah, 
And this, I thought this was a pretty good way to address it because there is some question about how exactly Doug Kenny died. We, it is still not really known if he was depressed and he committed suicide or if he accidentally fell while he was hiking and uh, people don't know. And there's a, there's a famous quote from Harold Ramis that Harold Ramis says in this movie, he says, Doug probably fell while he was looking for a place to jump. Which is so dark, but so funny. So dark, so, you know, very darkly funny and probably sadly accurate. Um, uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so then what happens that we uh, go into the funeral for Doug. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, then actually something very interesting happens where as we go through all the people he's, you know, who's worked with Doug and known Doug, you know, all the people we've been introduced to throughout the entire movie, we see that um, Doug, Doug is standing there in a suit alive looking at all the people. And then right. then modern Doug, Martin Mull, walks up to him saying, yeah. hey, hey, Doug. <laughs> yeah, they start talking to each other and he's and he's like, oh, who are you? And modern Doug explains, well, I'm you. I'm what you would have been if you'd lived. And, uh, and then, and then young Doug just goes, oh, so you're, and then modern Doug finishes the sentence. He says, I'm a narrative device. And, 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 uh, Doug Kenny, he, he immediately reacts as a writer. He's just goes, oh, that's a choice. <laughs> um, I, it's a, it's a neat, subtle moment, but I just really like that. He, his first reaction wasn't, wasn't like me freaking out. It's just like, he reacts as a writer. He's like, oh, that's a choice. <laughs> He's just. Um, and uh yeah and we we see doug and he sees his his parents uh standing over his casket and yeah they're just they're so distraught because both of they've outlived both of their kids now and he 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 just says now you two have a match set oh there's so many uncomfortable jokes throughout this whole movie there is. I mean, this gets dark, but comedy writers, they get dark, man. And, you know, we, we've seen a little of this in our lives as comedians. You, oh. you, you, go, you go towards dark humor because that's the stuff that makes you laugh the most because the more typical humor doesn't really make you laugh. Yeah, I've, when you, yeah I, I've been to many New Jersey open mics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you when you your life and you're making your life and your livelihood of comedy like regular comedy doesn't quite do it for you anymore you need like a stronger hit of something you know so yeah. they they gravitate towards the dark humor and a lot of comedians uh they they are prone to depression and they are prone to dark humor yeah and there was actually another line i had they had when uh, they were looking at all the people at the funeral mm-hmm. at one point modern doug says look you were beloved by so many white people Yes, that's a great line. Yeah, that's a great line. Oh, another, yeah, another yeah, line. Another line they said was uh, uh, where modern Doug tells Doug Kenny, "Say, oh, if it helps any, like in the future, people actually love Caddyshack. It becomes a yeah, hell. like so. I actually, yeah, people actually get obnoxious about it. Yes, which that is a that is a good way to put it. Oh. Um, <laughs> and and another quote from Bill Murray. He's you see him. He's just standing there with Gilda Radner. Uh, and he and Bill Murray just says, "Every funny person in the world is here, and no one's laughing." Whew. And uh, and this is and like even Belushi's at the funeral. Like Doug Kenny 
he passed even before John Belushi did Damn. in uh, in 1982. So, um, and and the Will Forte Doug Kenny hears Bill Murray say this, and he's just like this this can't stand. And he goes up and he he whispers in his friend Henry's ear, and uh, Henry starts a food fight. Yeah, because that starting a food fight is a futile and stupid gesture. And it's 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 a great bookend for the film from the, them starting a food fight at Harvard, and uh, um, and then as we have a food fight that's playing in slow motion, and the the song "Beautiful Dreamer" comes up again, and it's. Uh, and and it just closes on the two Dugs standing side by side, smiling. Yeah. Um, and it's it's great. I I got genuinely like a little teary at the end of this movie, man. Yeah, I I honestly didn't expect it to end on such a sweet, heartfelt note. Like it was really mm-hmm. just because throughout the whole movie is there's a lot of you know kind of I don't say like a snarky or subversive humor throughout the whole thing. But there's all yeah. there was also some heart in it here and there, like especially the stuff with. Doug and Henry and stuff with his parents. Mm-hmm. There's like a lot of very emotional, serious, heartfelt parts here and there. And uh, it just ends on a very sort of super sweet note, which is, which was like, uh, I was not expecting, but I enjoyed it immensely. But I liked it. it. It felt earned to me. It didn't like feel like it was out of nowhere. I thought they foreshadowed that stuff enough that it, that it worked. So I, yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, I agree. This uh, I really enjoyed this this movie. I thought it was like uh, two thumbs up. Yeah, yeah, I I really love this movie. This is this was probably about the third time I've watched it all the way through. I it blew me away when I first saw it, and I I watched it another time just for myself, and then I watched it a third time for for the podcast, and it's been a pleasure every time. Yeah, and I, I, I really dug it. Um, and uh, uh, the closing credits, we have Martin Mull singing a very nice song, which I, I don't know for sure if it was, it's an original song to the movie, uh, but the lyrics, and I'm not sure if I have the title uh, correct, but the, the lyrics are, I've had the time of my life. And it's, the lyrics sort of allude to many of the things we see in the movie. Yeah, it's not the song from Dirty Dancing. It's something else. Yeah. Uh, yes, we should clarify. It is not a Dirty Dancing <laughs> song. Uh, no, one, no one hoists somebody up over their heads like Patrick Swayze. Yeah. Although, I bet John Belushi could have done that if he wanted to. That's the director's cut. Yeah, I mean, that would be a way to, to go in, in, at the end of the film, with everybody just dancing like the end of Dirty Dancing. But, uh, you know, maybe in the sequel about Doug yeah. Kenny and the Afterlife. Yeah, that's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, so, so do you want to talk about that uh, that scene they had where they showed all the stuff that they kind of cut out for artistic uh, purposes? Yeah, yeah. There's about midway through the film um, where Martin Mull is just directing, uh, addressing the audience directly. He said he he talks about like, hey, there are a lot of things that we did for dramatic purposes or things that we got wrong or left out. And here, here they all are. And they just run them in a quick scroll. That's like too fast to read. But uh, somebody actually did screen caps of all of them in the movie and they put them up on IMDb. So I figured it might be fun to read them all. <laughs> um, you want to just like alternate on these? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Uh, why don't you start? All right. <clears throat> Doug and Henry did not meet at a freshman mixer. Henry was in the class above Doug. Board of the Rings was published after Doug Henry graduated from college. So was the Time parody. Peter Ivers was Doug's Harvard classmate, but he was not a member of the Harvard Lampoon. 
Doug did not have to persuade Henry into starting the magazine. Henry was on board from the beginning. The Harvard Lampoon did feel the team of children to did feel the team of children to play softball for them, but that happened in the 1990s. Doug and Henry had met Marty Simmons, oh, Maddie Simmons, Jesus, Maddie Simmons earlier. He helped them sell ads for a 1968 Harvard Lampoon parody of Life magazine. There was a third founder of National Lampoon named Rob Hoffman. Hoffman negotiated the contract with Maddie, but soon left to join his father's soft drink bottling business in Dallas. And Beats, Tony Hendra, and Brian McConaughey were not part of the Lampoon at its birth. They joined later. Tony Hedra performed on the Ed Sullivan Show with a partner, Nick Allette. And Beat's confrontation with a construction worker is based on a sketch she wrote for Saturday Night Live. I meant read every other one, but uh, oh. you know, the way you, that's a choice. That's a choice. I thought you were going to read them all. Oh, son of a beast thing. <laughs> you just kept going, so I was like, all right, yeah, yeah screw it. He's rolling. All right. <laughs> I made a choice. Um, yeah, so so here, here is the next uh, card of uh, artistic licenses. Uh, Mogdar is technically a dwarf planet. Uh, Doug appeared on the on Tom Snyder's talk show with Chris Miller. Doug and Tony Hendra didn't swap vices. It was Tony and Michael Do- O'Donohue who did. The Marshmallows piece was written by Robert Height, uh, which may have been Doug's pseudonym. That's not Will Forte's real hair. What? <laughs> there, yeah. There are some mild spoilers below about the rest of the movie. You can keep reading or just come back later. We'll be here. The live show Lemmings actually came first before the creation of the radio hour. Gilda Radner was not in Lemmings, but she did perform in another production called the National Lampoon Show. As far as we know, Alex never walked in on Doug with another woman, but she did eventually learn about his affair with Mary. Doug first ran away from National Lampoon in 1971. He went to Martha's Vineyard with Mary, uh, and then later went to see Peter Ivers and Lucy Fisher, who lived in Los Angeles. Ann Beats and Michael O'Donohue quit National Lampoon over the phone with Maddie Simmons, not in the office. Uh, the editor who dialed 911 while in a fight with Maddie was Ted Mann, not Tony Hendra. And uh, to round things out, Doug's brother Daniel succumbed to a long illness and died in 1968 when Doug was in college. Everyone was a lot more sexist and racist than they appeared to be. Uh, I mean, who who isn't? Uh, the, the idea to do a standalone yearbook parody came from Maddie Simmons, and it was based on a piece Doug and Michael O'Donohue wrote for the magazine. Doug met, Doug met Catherine Walker at a party at her apartment, not at a bar, but he did bite into a wine glass like a crazy person. Uh, I can't get, I cannot get over that. Yeah, I know. Uh, Chevy Chase was not there when Doug delivered goats to his parents, but Doug did buy them goats. Uh, while on a date with Catherine, Doug sang When You Wish Upon a Star to her, but we couldn't afford that song. Uh, <laughs> Disney. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the line about ships and sinking rats comes from Sean Kelly. Animal House and Caddy yeah. Shack were made for different studios. Brad, uh, Joe Latrui little character, the studio executive, is a, comp- as a composite character. Yeah. Um, Doug, sh- Doug showed a drawer full of cocaine to Rick Meyerowitz, not Chris Miller. Doug saw an airplane with Peter Ivers, not with Catherine Walker. Also, it was Peter Ivers who found Doug's uncashed check. Uh, Doug and Henry did not did meet up in New York, but not the day of the Caddyshack press conference. Yeah, so um, that's a that's a lot of things. It seems like, especially when you have them all on a list like that. But it honestly, it's probably 
no more or less than you would find in most biopics. Yeah, you know? I mean, there's nothing egregious, I don't think. Um, I mean, I think the only one that really seems major is that uh, Doug's brother, Daniel, actually died when Doug was in college, not when he was a kid. I uh, think that was probably one of the only big, big breaks from reality. Uh, the rest? Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I mean, I, the rest, it seems like the movie, in, in places, it's more spiritually true than more factually true, which I think that's probably what you want to do if you're making a good biopic. You, you're going to go with what's going to make the most dramatic scene because real life doesn't have a three-act structure. It does not. It does not. It's just like a bunch of things that happen. And sometimes they make sense, but most of them do not. Yeah, absolutely. Here, here. Yeah. So, um, but you know, you, you, <laughs> you, you want your movies to make sense and you want someone's life to make sense. And, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm gearing up for a uh, uh, bigger point here, but I don't really have. <laughs> oh God. Just not a food fight. Just like in life, things trail off and don't come to a firm conclusion sometimes. <laughs> like that monologue I just had. Oh, boy. Oh, oh, Jonathan. Yeah. All right, uh, um, just, it's it's not Jonathan. I know, I know. Uh, it's, Jonathan, it's, it's funnier. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so, I mean, we put the word out on Twitter. A lot, I mean, a lot of people kind of said, you know, had their say about this movie. A lot of people said, you know, of course, Chevy Chase. Uh, I mean, Joe, Joe McHale playing Chevy Chase with an amazing perf- performance. Uh, mm-hmm. Tom Lennon as Michael Donahue was, like, spot on. And a few people yeah. said that the the documentary was better, the uh, Drunk Stone Brilliant Dead documentary, which uh, I haven't got a chance to see that. But, I mean, have you uh, checked that out? Uh, yeah, I have watched that. that. That is also good. I mean, it's a different sort of thing. It's just more uh, – there's also a book by that same title, which was an oral history of it. Um, and that's interesting because you just get everybody telling their recollections and some of them might contradict each other. So you just kind of decide for yourself where the truth lies and, and you can't necessarily do that, uh, in, in most movies. So I hear you, but, but it's worth seeing. It's worth seeing, especially if you're, uh, if you're into comedy and, and you're curious about, uh, Doug Kenny and the national lampoon in particular here, here. And uh, yeah, I guess that's our that's the episode, man. That's uh, ooh, that's mm-hmm. a long one. This was a long one, but uh, you know there was there's a lot to get in get into with uh, what well, with uh, David Wayne responding to our tweet and all. Absolutely, this was this was this was due. This was needed. Yep, yep. So uh, that's that's it. Uh, we're not positive what we're doing next week. Uh, if the pattern of the last few weeks hold, we might we suspect that SNL might be coming back with another SNL at home episode, but they haven't announced the last couple ones until the Thursday before. So yeah. we'll see what happens. We'll uh, we'll see what happens. We don't we don't we're not gonna say just yet what we're gonna do. We just we're gonna bide our time and see uh we'll let SNL make the first move. That's right. That's right. We are, we're prepared with something. Um, if SNL does not do a new episode. So yeah, we will be back and talking about something in any event, yes. but, uh, but we're not going to announce that quite yet. Right. We'll, we'll announce, we'll let SNL make the first move because right. we're, we're sick of SNL announcing an episode after we've announced something and making us look the fool. <laughs> and we will not have it. SNL. We won't have it. <laughs> we won't have, we will not stand for it. That's right. Oh, so angry. <laughs> I'm shaking my fist in the air right now. Oh, I'm starting a food fight. Yeah. Just, I mean, there's no one here, but it's just it's just me. I'm just throwing food against the wall, I guess. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm just throwing food on myself, which is just <laughs> really, really foolish. Oh, boy. It's not easy to go to the grocery store these days, guys. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, but, uh, uh, but yeah, yeah. So either way, you, we're gonna you're gonna get a new episode uh, soon mm-hmm. enough. And uh, if you want to follow I'll me, I'll be yes. yes. And if you want to follow me on uh, Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Darren Credible. That's D A R I Incredible. Yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Trumbull Comic. That is T R U M B U L L and the word comic. And you can follow the show's uh, Twitter page at SNL Nerds Show. All right, and uh, yeah, I guess that's that's all I gotta say. And this was a good that's one. That's all we got. That's all we got. We don't got no more. They're they're tossed a cape on me, James Brown style. So uh, <laughs> we, we're all done. Um, so un- until we're back with something new uh, next week. Until then, nerds, nerds out. out. And literally just after uh, I said that, I remembered a little bit of trivia that I didn't get into the episode where. Uh, uh, Joel McHale was talking about playing Chevy Chase, and he was saying he wanted to get his his voice deep as deep as Chevy's was oh. back in the day. And so he would like, shout in his trailer for like 15 minutes to like get his throat sore. Oh shit! And I didn't uh, know that. Say that. But you know what? We're still recording. So Frank, hey, if you want to stick this in somewhere as like a post credits uh, Avengers style thing, go. You're for welcome, it. Frank. You're welcome, Frank. Yes. We we'll give you more things. work to do. Yes. <laughs> okay, we're really done now. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop taping. <laughs>This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com. Thank <laughs> you.